Good morning. It's good to be with you. You're more than welcome to be here, and we're very happy to see you all here. I have a confession to make. I was reading these passages. I was thinking of the themes, and it says at the top, Transfiguration Sunday, which is August 6th. I don't know where that came from, so I beg for your forgiveness. It's the seventh week of Epiphany starting Lent next week, so... Uh, if that was a concern for you, that's the reason why. As we begin our uh, service after that wonderful prelude, we're going to be singing hymn 350. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. The stanzas one through three, no four and five. Hymn 350. true heart to confess our sins and ask him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to forgive us. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. May the Father of all mercies cleanse us from our sins, restore us in his image to the praise and glory of his name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. 
Blessed is the Lord, for he has heard the voice of our prayer. Therefore shall our hearts dance for joy, and in our song praise our God. Our psalm responsive reading this morning comes from 130, a song of ascents. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who, who could stand? But with you there's forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord, more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Second hymn this morning, 412, Be Thou My Vision, stanzas 1 through 3, and 412. first reading is from Exodus 24. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commandments I have written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua his aid and Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said to the elders, Wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and Hur are with you, and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went on up the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain forty days and forty nights. This is the word of the Lord. And our second reading from the New Testament to Peter 1. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. 
He received honour and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Ron. Our gospel reading this morning is from Matthew 17. If you'd stand, please. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified, but Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the Gospel of Christ. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. The text says that Psalm 130 is a song of ascents. If you look in an English Bible, there's often uh, headings that are given by the editorial translation committee. But that's not what this is. This is actually in the Hebrew text itself, a song of ascents. What's a song of ascent? It's a, it's a psalm or a song that's written for a specific occasion when one is ascending. What does it mean to ascend but to go up? Oftentimes related to steps. This song was sung on a specific occasion, and that was when the Jewish people would go up to Jerusalem, the city of David or Mount Zion, where the temple is located, is at an elevated spot in the area, surrounded by valleys. And if you are a faithful Jew, you know that it is your requirement to make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem three times a year for three different feasts. One of them is the Passover that celebrates the exodus from Egypt. The second is the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Pentecost, which celebrates the wheat harvest and also the giving of Torah. And the third is the Feast of Tabernacles, or the the Feast of Booths, which also celebrates the end of the harvest. What are they going up to see, these Jews, for these feasts? They're going to celebrate something. They're going to the mountain of God. They're going into God's presence to meet Him there. And that can often be a scary thing, depending on one's relationship to God. And perhaps people go or went out of 
they were maybe reluctant to go. Or maybe they were desperate to go. That's what this psalm is about, 130. It's about one specific person's perspective going to the mountain of God to meet God face to face, probably in the midst of one of these feasts. A consistent reminder. Now, it's not entirely positive as it starts. The psalmist says, out of the depths, out of the depths I cry to you. Now, oftentimes in the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures, specifically in Genesis 1, water in the sea, the ocean is represented as chaos. It's a chaotic thing at the beginning of creation. The Spirit is hovering over these chaotic waters. This is often coming from the stories and the epics of, of sailors who see the power and the majesty of the, of the ocean. It can't be controlled. It's often represented in text as chaotic, the deep. So the author is saying, out of this depth of chaotic circumstances, maybe, Maybe he's over his head. Maybe he's buried in this situation. Maybe it's his own heart, the depths. But he cries out. He shrieks for help. I don't know if you've ever done this, but if you go to a swimming pool, maybe a bathtub, and you go underwater and you yell, especially if you're in need for help, you know that it's hard to be heard. Either way, he's going up to the mountain in the midst of this situation that seems overwhelming. Now, I don't think that it's a coincidence that there's metaphors throughout the Old Testament that have to do with ascending, going up from a low place to a high place. And oftentimes that low place was a part of God's plan for the individual. Let me give you some examples. Abraham's in Mesopotamia. He's called. He's, he says he's going to be given a land, a people, a blessing. He goes down to that land. He goes south. Then when he gets there, he doubts. He's afraid. Then he goes down to Egypt. And when he comes out of Egypt, he's given another promise that he's going to have, again, a specific son. And then he's led to the mountain. He's asked to sacrifice him, often the, the apex of Abraham's story. Joseph, too, the favorite son of high position, is given a coat of many colors. He's betrayed by his brothers, brings him down. He's kidnapped, he's sold, he's thrown into a pit even lower. And then he's taken down to Egypt, where he's put in prison. How low can you go? Then in the midst of those circumstances, God takes this man, Joseph, and he puts him at the, the mountain, second in command to Pharaoh, the high place. Moses, the celebrated son of Egypt, is accused, kills a person, flees down to Midian, where he finds the burning bush where God speaks to him, tells him, go and take my people out of Israel, out of Egypt and take them to where? The mountain. Jonah, the false prophet, who was afraid, he really, he had no business doing what he was doing because he was running from God. But God calls him, and what does he do? He goes down to Tarshish, he gets in a boat, goes to the bottom of the boat, and when that doesn't work to run from God, he realizes that he's at fault, and he asks them to throw him into the sea where he sinks to the bottom, only to be rescued by fish and brought back up to Nineveh. And lastly, how could we forget the story of Jesus? The Son of God, God Himself, the second member of the Trinity, goes down to the earth, not as a king, but as a servant, put into the grave, only to be resurrected and exalted in heaven. What does, what does this have to do with the person that's climbing the mountain? They see that they are on the rise, going to the presence of God, and in the midst of this valley, 
They see what they're going through, their hardship, crying out to God, help me. All of these characters that I've listed had the same experience. Ancient Near Eastern perspectives of worship were always the high places. The the Old Testament talks about the the pagans having Asherah poles and and sacrificial um, practices in the high places. Oftentimes, the prophets are told to tell them to tear them down. Babylon had ziggurats. Egypt has pyramids. Going to the high place, to the, the, the appropriate place to worship. And so they, the psalmist goes. And in the midst, he says, hear my voice, verse 2. Hear my voice. God uses this word for hear in Deuteronomy 6 when he says, hear me, Israel. Know what I'm saying. Pay attention. Understand what I'm trying to say to you. I'm trying to bring you life. So we see it swapped here that the the psalmist is saying to God, hear me. Understand my situation. Don't you know that I'm suffering? Don't you see me in the valley? He feels ignored. How long has it been? How long has it been since he's seen God move? How long has it been since he's seen or felt the compassion of God? He says, let your ears be attentive. See, our perspective, our timing is often not God's timing. All the characters that I listed had that problem as well. Does God not care for me? Even Jesus. Why have you forsaken me? He asked for mercy. Show me favor. My situation's too hard. I'm too lonely, God. There's too many people against me. Or maybe I'm sinning too much. Maybe my own choices are causing these circumstances. Either way, I'm over my head. I'm underwater screaming and no one can hear me. It seems like you're forgetting your servant. And maybe he feels remorse and maybe he feels shame. Maybe he feels pride. But his heart cries out. What's your cry? What's your situation right now where you're thinking maybe God isn't listening to me? This particular person, their situation is sin related and they tell us in verse 3, if you kept a record of sins, who could stand? He's seen that God and him have a problem, that there is a sin problem. That it's sin-related. But notice that this particular person is repentant. They aren't prideful. And they take 100% accountability of what they've done wrong. Their self-awareness. Because the person says, If you held against me in a court of law what I'm guilty of, I couldn't stand. This isn't just about standing physically on your feet, but being physically presented to someone who has authority over you. If I were to present myself as I am, God, what's my defense? And so the psalmist is thinking this. He's climbing the mountain physically, but also spiritually. He's going into the presence of God and he's thinking, look what I've done since the last feast. And I walked up this mountain to this worship area. What if God does remember my sin? How can I stand before Him? So why does He climb, you might ask, if he's afraid, if he or she is afraid? If they're really this guilty, why are they climbing to the mountain where that would be the last place they would want to be? The place that they see where where Moses meets God, where the place that's often terrifying. He sees something else. Verse 4, he sees that there's forgiveness for God, but with you there is forgiveness. In other words, literally, beside you there is forgiveness in your presence that we can with reverence serve you. 
The amazement with God. This is oftentimes, uh, in in this text, it's it's translated reverence, but it's it's usually translated fear. When we see something, oftentimes for me, it's when I'm in a place that's highly elevated, like a mountain. I look over an edge, and I, I'm suddenly kind of filled with awe. And at the same time, it's scary, you know, that, that sick feeling in your stomach. I remember this one time when I was a kid, when I was first kind of grappling with the idea of eternity. And this man was talking about the stars and what what appeared to be infinite space and just even though it was majestic and it was awe-inspiring, it scared me. The greatness of it scared me. So too this person is climbing the mountain to a festival, to a feast, and he's considering that all of his sins have been forgiven by God somehow. And he shows reverence, he shows awe, he shows amazement. Verse 5, I wait for the Lord, my whole being, or literally my soul, the very seat of emotions, waits, and in his word I put my hope. What is it to wait on God? You see, these characters often had something in common. They, they weren't just sitting back thinking, oh, I hope this ends, tapping their watch. Let's wait until our suffering is over. But this is a resolution. This is a, this is a resolute choice. It's not passive. He's choosing to wait and to rest in his soul for God to move. says he trusts in his word. In his word, I put my hope. Now, this may be the Pentateuch, you know, the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first books of the Old Testament, which is often considered the word of God to the Jew. Maybe he's saying he's taken rest in the promises of the stories that he's read about God's greatness. Jesus, in his time often read the Old Testament from a Greek translation called the Septuagint. And the Septuagint translate this word, word, as logos. The same word that John uses at the beginning of his gospel. The logos, the foundation of Western philosophy, the truth, the message, the essence. We as Christians can look at this text and say, we are putting our hope in the Word. Jesus Himself. In Him we hope. In Him we don't just wait passively for things to end, but we wait with full confidence that He's using our suffering for the sake of His kingdom and for our development as Christ-like people. He says His soul again is waiting for like a watchman like one who waits for the morning, literally. He says it twice. Why is it so, like looking over the ravine, it's, it's awe-inspiring. Why is the nighttime so fearful? The literal nighttime when it's dark or in the nighttime of our lives and our souls when things don't appear to be very bright. You see, the watchmen, especially in fortified cities like Jerusalem, they had watchmen on the turrets, on the walls, looking for enemies approaching. And the ones that held their posts at night, I think, felt a greater sense of vulnerability because they couldn't see. Is the enemy coming? Is there any hope that we can defend what's coming over that hill? or up the hill. What about you? Do you feel vulnerable? Maybe your life's going great right now. Maybe you feel vulnerable and you're in a dark place and you had nothing to do with it. It's just happened.
about 12 years ago, I lived in the state of Washington and I used to go camping. I, I was kind of obsessed and bought a bunch of gear. And I'd hike several miles into, into the wilderness and camp by myself. And I was always so motivated and excited to be there. It was very peaceful. And then it gets dark and you're alone. And what sounded nice now becomes, what was that? What is that noise? All the things that seem nice now seem to be a threat. Just that feeling of ultimate vulnerability. And then the morning comes, and for some reason, every time, there's more confidence. There's more confidence that you're safer, though you're not safer. The same animals are circling around you, sniffing and wondering what you're doing. You're still the same amount of distance from the trail or the cabin where the, where the police are, the wardens. There's no improvement in safety, but it's just the sense of seeing and being able to see why and where you're going. It's the same with us. It's the same for this watchman that's on the turret, wondering, am I gonna, is tonight going to be the night that we're attacked? But notice that, that all of these things that seem negative switch. This introspection turns to a resolution. It's something that he says or she says in verse 7. Israel, he's now speaking to his people, his fellow climbers, you see. They wrote this in their own understanding of them going to the mountain. And now they're looking to the side to the people around them, their brothers and sisters. And they say, Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption. He speaks not only to the people next to the person that's speaking, but he speaks to us, the reader. Not just from an idea, but from experience. This is not for the first time they've climbed the mountain. This is not the first time that they've seen the experience of being in the valley and coming up and wondering if God is going to answer. He says, hope in the Lord. Why? Why this time? Why would God answer me this time? And this person's looking back at the stories and he's saying because of his unfailing love, his hesed, his covenant, his absolute commitment to the people of God, the commitment that's only dissolved by death on the mountain that we've just read about with Moses, The commitment, not our commitment to God, but God's commitment to us, especially through Jesus today. Because of his unfailing love, but there's more because of his ransom, his deliverance, his redemption. A ransom is when someone sees that something that has been taken from them is so valuable that they are willing to pay whatever the, the request is to get it back. That's the word here for full redemption. It's not that, that God is just committed to you in love, but that he is willing to do whatever it takes to get you back. That is the confidence of the, of the faithful person in this psalm, climbing the mountain, wondering if God has forgiven him. And he's suddenly reminded of the faithfulness of God in the midst of his valley, and that God has done everything he could to make it so. That's your hope today, Christian. God is committed to you. God does hear your voice, even though you feel like you're under the ocean like Jonah. The world's on top of you. Maybe you're on top of you and you feel shame about something. God is there to answer your, your request. He has already answered your request. He's there with you in the valley and he's leading you to the mountaintop into his presence. 
And maybe it's not an end of your circumstances. Maybe it's your perspective, like this particular person that looks to the, to the right and the left and they said, I know what you're going through. Last time when we were going up the mountain, I felt the same thing that you're feeling now, but put your hope in the Lord. He's committed to you. He's redeemed you. And when you stand before him during this festival, you can feel assured. Why? Because in verse 8, he himself will redeem. Not you. It's not you getting your act together before you get to the pinnacle. It's that on the way, God has prepared everything for you to be in his presence, to participate in the feast. The feast of God. God will accomplish it. And we as Christians believe God's accomplished this already. Our sins, our spiritual darkness, our physical battle. Our darkness, our nighttime experience of waiting for God to show up. Put your hope in God. Make every effort to climb. But know that you only enter because of his invitation. This story about Moses going up to the mountain, people were told to wait at the base of the mountain because it was too holy that they couldn't enter in. Moses wasn't that better than the people, but God allowed him to enter to be an advocate for the people. He was going to give the law to Moses. Moses was going to go to the people. So he allows Moses to come. But Moses wasn't worthy. Unlike Jesus who is our advocate, who is our new Moses, that goes to the mountain of God, to the presence of God, who is holy, who is able to enter. And not only is he able to enter freely, but he is desperately loved by God. That is who we have faith in. The one that is worthy, the one that can always go to the mountain into the presence of God, because of their relationship. That is the one that is in heaven who is an advocate for you now. That's why we can say, in the midst of our chaos, in the midst of our darkness, in the midst of the things that seem to be overwhelming us, that there's hope. That God wants to move in your circumstances. And oftentimes, like these great men that I listed, Abraham, and Joseph, and Moses, and Jesus, God uses your circumstances to change the world and you at the same time. We don't have to climb the mountain of Zion anymore for these feasts. But as we climb our own mountains, the things that concern us, I pray, I pray that you be reminded that God is with you, that God has done everything possible for you to enter that mountaintop, and that there's people beside you, like this psalmist, that not only when we don't often hear the word of God spoken to us, or we don't see something that God is visibly doing in our lives that gives us hope, that we give each other hope, and we say, I have seen this that you're facing, and I've seen the mountaintop as well. I know that God is committed to me, and I know that there's full redemption in what he's done, that God has changed my life based on what I've gone through. That's what we can be to each other. I pray that as you climb, you know that just like the psalmist, you can enter in. You can enter into the feast with hope. Because God's love is great. Amen. Would you stand with me, please?
the Apostles' Creed. We believe in God, Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. pray with me. Father, we are often in great need. All of us experience trials and, and issues that we face and pray, God, that you would remind us that you've made everything possible for us to know you and to have your power. Please continue to change and grow us. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Many bad things have happened recently, including the Hanau shooting in, in Germany. We pray for the families and the victims of this awful event. We pray that it, extremists and those who are exceedingly angry would see the value of your mercy. God, we pray that politicians would move, that there would be strength in these communities. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. The world's facing sometimes awful things like this coronavirus, wildfires, poverty, God. We pray that you would move. We pray that your love and your provision would come upon people who are in the midst of suffering. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Our last hymn today, 757, Abide With Me. We're going to sing the first three stanzas only. Hymn 757.
the Lord's benediction. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Amen. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.